Joshua 24:15b. It's really not B, it's just the last phrase of the verse, fairly long phrase, but it says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Shared this with my, with my Sunday school class. It's wonderful to sit, get up in the morning, and go out and see your daughters on the back porch reading their Bible. Nothing pleases your heart more than that. You know they're reading and they're, and they're praying. And I got to see in this last two weeks, I got to see both of them doing that and at different times. They didn't know I was doing it. They weren't doing it for show. But they were back out there reading their Bible on our back porch. And I, got, I didn't go out there and bother them. I just kind of watched from a distance. But it's neat to see my house serve the Lord. And you'll never regret that part. And as we, as we study, we're, we're looking at this word today. We're looking at serve. God has something for us to do. We've got to serve Him. You know, a lot of times preachers try to give you stuff that's new. I want you to think outside the box a lot of times. A lot of people, we, we get into studying these and, and we, we already know the outcome of what, what the story is. And John chapter 14 through 16, I want you to go to those. These are His last words to His disciples. We talked about being a servant and of course, Jesus, when he's up with his disciples, he does the, he get, he does the, the, the communion with them. And, and amongst them, there's a fighting amongst who's the greatest. And what does he say? He says, the one that serves is the greatest. And so, in John chapter 14 through 16, there are a couple things that you find in here. And he's telling his disciples what he feels is very important for them to understand in the time to come. There's basically two things you can look at in John chapter 14, verse, 13, verse 16. Remember, these are his last words before he goes to be crucified. And there's two aspects of it. Number one, he tells them to keep his commandments. He also, in this, and we understand it, but they didn't understand it, is this. It's the arrival of the Holy Spirit. He's constantly telling them in these next three chapters about this comforter has come, will, will come and, and he'll help you through all this and they don't understand it. In fact, many times they ask questions even in these chapters and he has to answer their question one, again. One time they just think the thought and he answers the question. And so we're going to look at some of these and I want you to see this. It says this shows the importance of this to Christ for his disciples to get. You ever, um, have your kids ever went on a trip and you always give them those last words? You know, or maybe you're going over to somewhere and eat. It's always this. Watch your what? Manners. Okay? And it's never this. Watch your siblings' manners. It's always watch your manners. Because you know they're going to watch your siblings' manners. I don't like tattletales used to drive me crazy when people come in and tell on everybody. I always think, you've got a beam in your eye and you're worried about toothpicking someone in somebody else's eye. But here, he's telling him, he's saying, listen, the two, the two things I really want you to get is I want you to keep my commandments. These are the same men that he knows, and this is what you've got to put in perspective. Does Jesus know what's going to happen? Did Jesus know what was going to happen before all this? Yes. Currently, yes. And afterwards, yes. He knew these disciples were going to get discouraged. What did one of them do? So well, I'm going to go fishing. And he knew he was going to do this. He uh, was the same man that was going to, was going to de um, deny him three times. He was the same one that was going to go fishing. And when he went fishing, guess what? He affected more than just himself. When you get down on yourself, it's going to affect more than just you. When I'm depressed, guess what? It affects my wife. When my wife's depressed, it affects me. When other people around you see it and you're hurting, it affects other people. I understand that. 
But watch this. When you do what's wrong, it affects people. That's why his first one was keep his commandments. He will constantly hound this into them in the next three chapters. And we're going to look at one aspect of it today. And I want you to see this as he talks to them. There's this verse, John chapter 14 and verse 15. As he's talking to them, he says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's a very basic aspect, isn't it? If you love me, keep my commandments. I've got some things written down with this. As a son, you know how I showed my mom and dad that I love them? If I keep their commandments. Curfew. Man, didn't you just love that word, curfew? And wasn't it amazing that your friends had a later curfew than you no matter what? If they said 1 a.m., oh, well, my friends are staying out till 1.15. I'll never forget that I tried to get my sister, and my sister's three years older than me, and I remember um, when she was in eighth grade, I was in fifth grade, and I didn't like the idea that she could, she could stay up later than me. My bedtime was 9 o'clock. Her bedtime was 10 o'clock. I thought that wasn't fair. That's, it's three years difference, and it's an hour difference. That's a big difference. So I went to my parents, and I said, this is ridiculous that I have to go to bed at 9 and she has to go to bed at 10. She was in junior high. I was still in elementary. And they said, okay, but if you, we set this rule, when you get 8th grade, you have to go to bed at 9. And you know, I reconsidered it and said, no, I don't want to do that. That's not what I did. A 5th grader never reconsiders anything. I was like, okay, I'll do it. I remember in 8th grade telling my friends I had to go to bed at 8. I don't know why I told my friends that. And, and, and it was because my dad and mom would always say, you know that time that you said TK needed to be in bed by 9, you've got to do the same thing. And they held to it. What I did not know is that when she was in 8th grade, they would let her go to bed and I would see her physically go to bed. They'd shut the door and then they would go get her and bring her and she could stay up till 10. Not the case when I was in 8th grade. I was in bed at 9. My dad and my mom, they taught me a lot. And I'm thankful that they did it. I look back and go, I was just a sucker for all this stuff. They did this to me all the time. That's why I'm the way I am today. You know, we have rules, and if I wanted my parents to know that I loved them, what did I do? I kept their commandments. So it was so funny growing up as a teenager. You want what everybody else has, what their parents say. And now I look back and I see some of these, these kids I was wanting my life to be patterned after. And where they are now. And I am so thankful I had a parent like that. So if I want my mom and dad to know that I, that I love them, I kept their commandments. Same way with my kids. If, if I saw, and I was blessed. My children, I, I, don't remember, I don't know if we ever grounded them. I'm not saying they were perfect, but they were pretty close. They were a lot better than I was. And I just look out and I see how far they've come. But if you, as a child, how you show your parent that you love them is you keep their commandments. What about a citizen of the United States? How do you show that you, you, you love your country by keeping the commandments? There's always rules and commandments. What about this? As a child of God, how do I show God that I love Him? I keep His commandments. You say, well, that's fairly easy. There's only ten commandments in the, New, in the Old Testament. Well, that's not the case. 
I've read, I've read a couple articles on this. Do you know how many um, commandments they estimate are in the Bible, especially the first, the, the law? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Do you realize how many, how many commandments they say there are? This is what they estimate, 613 to 635 commandments. That's a lot of commandments. I remember when we first got out to California, we had to switch our, when we moved out there, we had to switch our license over and I went in to get my license and my wife said, I'm going to study before I go. And I was like, I don't need to study. I've been driven for so many years. I got it. Do you realize there's a lot of different rules in California that are not here? Especially when you live out in San Francisco. There are a set of rules all about the hills of, of, of San Francisco. Because people get wrecks in the hills of San Francisco. If you've ever been, how many of you have been to San Francisco? There's some roads that you could never go 40 miles an hour on. You have to stop and go over and then go up and go over. Everybody know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been there, you'll understand it. And they tell you how to park your car, how to chalk the tires, how to do all this. Well, my wife passed it the first time because she studied. She knew the rules. I went through the first time. I didn't pass it. And the Lord just worked it out where it was a very large um, driver's, driver's um, thing that we went to. And I just happened to get the same guy the second time. And he goes, are you going to pass it this time? I was like, I'm going to pass it. I felt it the second time. And he goes, you do know. Now he knows me by name. He, do, he goes, you know, Walter, and he, he was actually Arab, and I didn't, couldn't understand half the words he said, but he said, you know, Walter, that if you don't pass this this next time, you will be taking a driver's test. And I said, I'm fully aware of that rule. And I went and I took it again, and the Lord worked it out again. With like probably 25 people, I got the same guy again to check my test. You could miss six. I missed five on the front page. He flipped it over, and he was just looking down, and I saw him going, oh, man. And he, he was, I thought, I counted five or six, and he counted off. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to take a driver's. And he looked at me, and he goes, you should have studied, sir. And I said, I, I understand that now. Would you give me a break? He goes, you actually passed. And I said, what was all this? He goes, I was just kidding. <laughs> I was like, that's not something to kid about, amen? You know, we're all going to have commandments we have to follow. And the Bible says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he's telling his most inner circle of men that they've got to keep his, keep his commandments. And if it's important to them, it's important to you. You've got to keep his commandments. You can't get by it. You can't say, well, I love you, Lord, but I'm not going to follow this one. I love you, Lord, but that's ridiculous. I love you, Lord, but I can't do this. He doesn't give you anything you can't handle. So I want you to turn, and as I was studying this, I thought, we've got to see this. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is where my mainstay is going to be. You must change your mindset in order to follow the commandments. Because there's a couple things in here. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. If you want to keep His commandments, you've got to think like Christ. And it, we say it's very simple, but it's very hard because we are, we are a self-pride person. We love ourselves. Jesus told His disciples they need to be servants. But then Paul writes this. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are supposed to have Christ mindset. Now, how do we do that? He tells us how we do this. How do we do this? When, when Paul writes this in, in Philippians chapter 2, 
He says in, in verse number five, it says, let this mind be in you, which, also, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, if we're going to keep his commandments, we've got to get his mindset. If we don't think like him, we're not going to do it. If we think like us, we're never going to be like God. You know what I mean? We're not going to be a God, but we can act like God. We've got to have his temperament. We've got to think what, the way he thinks. The Bible says, he even says this, the enemies of God should be the enemies of you. Easier said than done. But in, 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 Corinthians, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, there are three aspects of changing your mindset. And here they are. The first one, you've got to correct your joy. Sometimes we laugh about the wrong things. You ever had someone that didn't like you and something happened to them and you were kind of happy about it? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus died as much for Peter as he did the centurion soldiers that were killing him. He died as much for John, his beloved, as the ones that were plucking his beard. His joy was the correct joy. The second thing is, is you, gotta have, you have the correct process. You've got to have the correct process to think like Christ. And, he, and Paul tells us, and the third one is, you have to have the correct mind. All right, let's look at these things, and we'll break them down, and then we'll be done. I want you to look at the correct joy. Go to Philippians chapter 2, and you're going to see the correct joy. Verse number 1 in, in Philippians chapter 2. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. You know what we've got to be? We've got to be like-minded. We've got to, if we're, gonna, if we're going to serve Christ and we're going to keep His commandments, we've got to be like-minded. Like-minded with who? Like-minded with Christ. Paul says this, he says, you're supposed to be like-minded. The second thing is this, not only this, we're supposed to be one accord and one mind. Think the same way that He does. See if anybody's paying attention to Sunday school. What is our main goal in life? Even considering your marriage, what is it? To be what? To give glory to God. Some of them listened. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. That's our main goal in life, is to give glory to God. It's not about glory to me. If you study Christ's life, it was never about Him. Did He ever heal Himself? No. He healed others. Did He ever serve Himself? No. He served others. Right before he dies, he washes all the disciples' feet. He talks about being a servant. And then Paul writes, you've got to be like-minded like Christ. Sometimes that's hard to do because we like ourselves. I'm trying to help you with this. You've got to have the correct joy. What brings you joy? You are serving others. God wants it to be serving others. It's not about what I can do for myself. Lord knows I've tried and so have you. But God wants us to serve others. What can we do for other people? We've got to be in one accord, one mind. We've got to have this like-minded. Now the correct process. Keep reading it in, in the book of Philippians. It says in verse number 3, and everybody likes this verse, let nothing be done. Let's, let's try to break this down. What does that mean, let nothing be done? That means everything you do should not be like this. Look at, look, look at the words it says. Through strife or vainglory. That vainglory, we don't use that word very much. 
You know, I've, been, I've used a lot of vainglory in my life. I like what Solomon writes when he writes um, um, his book. What's he, what's he known for? He's got Ecclesiastes. When you read Ecclesiastes, he talks about everything is vain. Everything that we, he's tried, everything that he's done, it's in vain. Because it was done for his own glory. And he finds out at the very end, there's nothing worth doing unless you're doing it for Christ. Unless you're doing it for God. And here, he talks about the correct process. The correct process is this. No strife or vainglory. We shouldn't be at each other's throats. And I don't think we are here. But I know a lot of people that just like a good fight. You ever been around somebody like that? I mean, they live for strife. I have relatives that that's all they want is strife. And they can't understand why they can't get anything done because they're always mad at everybody. I have about four relatives on my side that every time you turn around, they're mad about something. I mean, they're mad about this. They're mad about this. My dad was always somewhat the black sheep of the family. We still don't know why. But my grandmother collected salt and pepper shakers. I mean, she had hundreds of them from all over the world. And my dad was the only one out of all the kids that was in the military. And everywhere he went, he'd get salt and pepper shakers for him and send them back to her. I mean, she had probably 20, 20 different countries that he went to. And he'd always get them and send them back. When she passed away, all the relatives said, well, we're going to go back to the church, then we're going to go back to mom's house, and then we'll divide everything up. Well, after the service, we went to the church, we waited, and no one showed up. About 20 minutes later, they all showed up. They had not told my dad, but they had went and taken everything that they wanted. I've only seen my dad cry on two occasions. And he didn't sob, but I looked up at him and there was a tear running down his right eye. And I remember as a child looking at him and saying, what's going on, Dad? He goes, oh, nothing. And they all came in and they ate like nothing was going And when we went back over the house, there was only about five or six salt and pepper shakers that no one wanted. And they were the cheapest ones there. All the ones that he had got for his mother were gone. You just don't understand things like that. But I never, I have never heard my dad ever say anything bad about him. As a, as a child, I would just look back and go, this just doesn't make sense. I don't want to treat my kids like this. I don't want to treat my siblings like this. Because you know what we get? We get strife and vainglorious. There's always something that you can just rub somebody the wrong way. We asked this question in Sunday school. Do you know how to set people off? <laughs> Brother Copenhaver, if I ask you if you wanted to make your wife mad, could you make her mad right now? Absolutely, you could. Well, you don't have to agree with it so fast, man. But let's reverse this. Do you think she could do something to upset you? How about if she took your car that you have and put stuff on top of your car? That would probably make you really upset, amen? We're going to talk about it later. You can get counsel with me. We'll talk about it. She's not really done that yet. But, you know, as I look, I think sometimes the correct process is no strife or vainglory. It's not about us. The mindset of Christ is not about us. It's about what he would want. For the glory of God. Look at the next part. Read the next verse. It says this. It says, But lowliness in mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. And so if they didn't get it, that, that verse, go to verse number four, he repeats it in another way. Look, look not every, every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Here he repeats the thing a different way. He says, listen, it's not about you. 
Look at this next one. It's about others over us. I love that aspect where someone said, you can't hurt a dead person. The Bible says that Paul says he died daily. He's basically saying, you can't hurt me because I die daily. You can't hurt a dead man. What is he saying with that? It wasn't that he was literally dead. It was that he was saying, it's not about me, it's about Christ. And if you're ever going to do anything for God, there's always going to be criticism. Always. Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Why'd you do it this way? Why'd you do it this way? I hear it all the time. I, I had preacher friends of mine call me and say, this is what somebody said about me. I said, don't worry about it. Just keep moving forward. We've got to get back to understanding the correct process is not about me. Who's the best person you like in this world? Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Raise your hand real quick. It's not going to hurt you. The person that's raising your hand, that's your favorite person. That's what it is. Because we like ourselves. Hmm. We've got to have the correct joy. We've got to have the correct process. And the last thing, we've got to have the correct mind. Go keep reading in this, and it says, um, as we read this, it says, um, in verse number 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the, ser- the, t- upon him the form of a what? Servant. You know, the, the correct mind is this, servanthood. What can I do for you? There's so many people that go to church, and here's why they go to church, to see what the church can do for them. That's why I have an issue with the people that want to come to America don't want to go the right way. Because they want to see what what our country can do for them. You know, let's go back to the church. It's not what our church can do for them, it's what we can do for each other. You know, there's people right now that are going through things. I I see Ray back there. He's going to the doctor this next week, correct? Go find out what everything's going. We need to pray for him. Priscilla's up here. We need to pray for her. She has to put up with him right now. She's got her mother with her. And you have to put up with both of them. You know, as we look at this, we've got to see that we've got to be servants. How can I serve you? And you don't have to ask that. Just serve. There's always things that you can do. How many of you ever needed something and someone helped you with it? How'd you feel when that happened? We've got to get back to serving. We've got to have the correct mind. Now, this next one's a question. It says this. Who do we serve? Question mark. And God's going to answer this through Paul's writing. Look at what Paul says. Keep reading. It says in verse number um, 6. It says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of the servant, and was made in the likeness of him. It says in verse number 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's how much he was a servant. Verse number 9 is an interesting thing. This is what happens when you are a servant. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name above a name which is above every name. That's what happened because he was the servant. We will never be a perfect servant like him. Our name will never be exalted like his. But we can make a difference in this world. 
We can have, we can serve, as, to, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we've got to understand how do we get there. We've got to keep His commandments. But there's this next part, and the question is asked. It says, how do, who do you serve? Go to verse number 10. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And then it says this, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is going to be a time when every knee will bow. They're not going to bow about me. They're not going to bow about Bernard. They're not going to bow about Larry. They're not going to bow about Anne. They're going to bow about Christ. It also says in, in Revelation that not only are they going to bow, what are they going to do? They're going to confess who He is. And what did it say? Every person will do that. Some of these men that were wicked men, Stalin, Hitler, they're all, Saddam Hussein, they're all going to bow the knee. And they're going to worship the man. It's going to be too late for them, but they're going to worship. They're finally going to realize who this man was. It wasn't a man that came in and just took over. It was a man that went into Jerusalem on a donkey, knowing full well he was going to die. He is your friend, your best friend, and sometimes he's my only friend. But he helps me get through situations that I don't understand. This wedding is just a blur of the last month. It's just like, let's get this done. 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 Now it's over. What do we do now? We don't have anything to get done. And then they went on their honeymoon. And then Meredith and the man, we don't say his name anymore, came back. Yesterday I flew out. My wife and I were sitting around and we were just talking. I shared it at the Sunday school. Sat there for an hour just talking about it. Because it's totally different now. I mean, we could FaceTime them. Thank God for FaceTime. We can text them. We can talk to them. But she's never going to be the same. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you, my life is different right now. There was an emptiness that was there last night. She went off and she gave, and she started crying when she left. I was like, don't do that. Not in the airport. And so she went and she got through and she waved at us at the very end. And I saw Josh put his arm around her. I said, get you. No, I didn't do that. Uh, um, <laughs> he, he put his arm around her and he, he walked, they walked off. And I could say, see that she was crying when she left. Because our world's different. Some of you get the opportunity to see your grandkids. Some of you get the opportunity to see your kids all the time. We went with her. I truly, my wife brought out something to me when she talked to me. She said, we kind of really know what missionaries feel like now. Can you imagine? Your kids going to a foreign field. And some of these foreign fields that they go to are dangerous. You talk about a prayer warrior. Some of these families have to be prayer warriors for their kids. It's not an easy life. But at the very end, it will be worth it all, as the song says. Go to the next, the, the verse that we looked at first. If we have the correct joy process in mind, we won't have a problem with John 14, 15. Because John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If I have the correct joy, all the commandments will fit in. If I have the correct process of the way I, I, I do things, I can follow those commandments. If I have the right mindset, I can follow those commandments. I'm not going to be perfect, and neither are you. 
If you're wanting a perfect pastor, I'm not it. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. We're going to let each other down. But you know what we've got to do as people? Realize that we're all sinners saved by grace. No one in here is perfect. But you know what we should strive to? Try to be perfect. And the only way we can do is if we have the mind of Christ in servanthood. If you want to study being a servant, study the life of Christ. And you'll see this man was the biggest servant of anybody that ever lived, walked on the face of this earth. He served you 2,000 years ago when he walked up a hill. Never said a word, was crucified, died, and three days later, he rose again. You know what we're supposed to have? We're supposed to have his mindset. It's not easy. But we've got to ask him for it. It's interesting, as you study his word, you'll find John, I want you to, I challenge you to do this. Read John chapter 14 through 16. It's interesting that when he talks in John chapter 14 through 16, he always talks about, if you ask something, I will help you with it. I will, I will, I will go to the Father, make a petition. I will, I will do what I can. I will help you with your prayers. If you ask it in my name, what's, about, what's he saying in John chapter 14 through 16? Because you have to have the right mindset and you have to be the servant. You also have to understand you need to keep his commandments. I'll end it with this. When I'm driving down the road and I'm following all the rules, I don't have to worry about it if a police officer comes up to me. I don't. But when I'm breaking every rule, I have to worry about what they say. Yesterday I pulled into Ingalls. I was going to go get something at Ingalls and a lady was driving down the wrong way coming up. She did it by mistake. I could tell. She was like, saying, But my first inclination was to crucify her. What is she doing driving down the wrong way? Doesn't she know the rules? And then she waved at me and said, I'm sorry, and she pulled out. I thought, there's been many times I went down the wrong way. How did I want to be treated? We've got to keep His commandments. If you keep His commandments, you know what you're doing? You're showing God that you love Him. Let's read it together. If ye love me, keep my commandments. It's not that hard. Let's read it again. If ye love me, keep my commandments. It's just that simple.